Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I feel like it's another ass comment, but Jason Jason just called you on your bluff and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to your regularly scheduled programming <laughs> of the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Aldwin. What else you got? That's it. <laughs> I have a question for you. Go. Are you happy or are you sad that it's Wimbledon? I'm a little... I, I think after two... Grand Slams pretty much back to back. I'm a little okay to be Wimbledon, <laughs> but I'm always sad to see the tournament end. Mm. I think we obviously missed it. The, one of the things they kept saying, uh, the commentators are like, 727 days since Djokovic held the title. <laughs> We're now at the final or whatever. So they're like counting all of the days because it feels strange to not have not had the tournament last year. Yeah. Um, are you going to ask me whether I'm happy or I'm sad? Are you happy or <laughs> are you sad? <laughs> um, uh, it spoken in true Libra fashion. Cause you know, Libras are very gray. They're not black and white. I am both happy and sad. <laughs> <laughs> what's, <I'll... laughs> what's the happy part and what's the sad part? All right. The happy part... No, let me start... Uh, what should I start with? Okay, I'm going to start with the happy part. Um, covering the French Open, covering Wimbledon. Yes, this is all voluntary. Do we enjoy it? 100 fucking percent. Um, is there pressure to keep on top of your balls? No pun intended or maybe pun intended. With regards to the daily tennis coverage? Absolutely. Um, it can be overwhelming. So, you know... the in and out like you really get a you really get a good picture of what it would be like if you were media at the tournaments right Mm -hmm. i mean and we're doing this from the comfort of our homes on the beach in our rooms that kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) but um i mean i'm happy actually happy is not the right word i'm more relieved that there's a conclusion to wimbledon um i'm sad because you know what? I'm I'm sad because uh, there are some stories that we're going to talk about shortly that have made me think about tennis, uh, tennis legends, their legacies, and the possibility that this Wimbledon might be the last time that we'd see them. So I, yeah, toward the end of the Wimbledon, I definitely felt a sadness for that. So happy and sad is my final answer. And the happy side of you is excited for the stories yet to be written by some of these other players? <laughs> um, not yet. Not yet. You're not, I mean, okay. They're not giving you enough yet. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not really grasping on to these new players and their stories quite yet. I, 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 little, I need a little bit more time with them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think there's a few players that we want to talk about that you wonder if they're like flash in the pans or if they're going to be a bit more. So we can definitely get into all of that. But first, we wanted to talk about just the return of the tournament itself and how that felt. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were certain aspects of seeing the grass again and the sound that the ball makes on that stadium court as it's (laughs) connecting with the racket and just the speed with which grass court tennis is played. All of those things were obviously amazing to see uh, come back. And then the fact that 100% of fans were allowed back for the first time since the pandemic was obviously pretty cool and pretty special to see sort of a return to normalcy through something that we enjoy and love, obviously, which is tennis. Yeah, um, we had mentioned on one of the Wimbledons I maybe it's something that I haven't paid particular attention to. I didn't notice this about any previous Wimbledon's, but the excessive consumption of alcohol <laughs> in the crowds. I mean, people were probably you know how like when you go to the tournament, there are special features you might be able to download in your phone where it's like I want to order this beer mm-hmm. and someone will just you know like we did at they show up. <laughs> yeah, at the former Rogers Cup a couple of years ago. I felt like people were popping the fuck off, you know, <laughs> I and I think it has something to do with like, you know, it's a people are feeling it's a post COVID time or at least the beginning of a post COVID situation. Um, we've seen what it's like uh, when tournaments are run with no fans or limited fans. And from the quarterfinals on, you know, people were just like popping bottles ordering extra servings of strawberries and cream, like food was spilling onto the center court. Like people were going cray cray, but I enjoyed seeing that so much. Um, The other thing that I wanted to mention that I felt was so comforting, I don't know if you feel this way about the return of Wimbledon. What I find so comforting is the return of those commentators that we know and love. Like hearing Johnny Mac (laughs) get back and talking about... um, you know, the tennis that's going on um, at Wimbledon, I find so, like, it feels like home. Martina Navratilova. So I just loved hearing those voices again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ESPN coverage, they have, you know, Chrissy and Darren Cahill, who's obviously mm. is amazing, and um, uh, Cliff Drysdale. Um, <laughs> yeah, all of those guys are super cool. I remember Cliff from the USA coverage when they had the slams as well. So... Yeah, I was wondering whether the bottle service was a new thing (laughs) because they were popping off and multiple Stellas were being had on a regular (laughs) and they they looked like the real glass, like the real Stella glasses, but just with a little plastic cover so they didn't spill them on the way to their seat. Mm -hmm. All very cool. Uh, Obviously, I think one of the unique things about any grass court event is the wear and tear over the two weeks. Mm-hmm. I saw one um, image, uh, they were talking about, um, some of the commentators were talking about how sort of the the era of the serve and volley is gone. And they showed, mm-hmm. they showed pictures of like the early, late 80s, early 90s, when there were more, you know, there was a Stefan Edbergs who basically served and volleyed every point. And you could see the center of the court between uh, the net 
uh, sorry, this the service line to the net was all worn out, and how different that is today because most players still um, hug the baseline. Yeah, uh, the chewed up courts definitely was some were some comforting images for me. My question is, is like, what is the maintenance in that? I mean, these are just like just stupid, regular questions that I think about, you know, when I'm watching and, you know, kind of spacing out. But like, if there are divots, do they fix those divots at the end of the day? I mean, what like what do they do? Anyone of our listeners out there know the answer? Just send us a DM and educate us. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't know the answer to that. And do they what do they do when a Daniil Medvedev smacks his racket on the grass? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Which he I did. mean, I mean, surprise, but no, not really, not really. <laughs> but you should know better not to do that. You're not supposed to damage the court like that. I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so after a year and you know, 130 million dollar cash in of an insurance policy, we were able to get tennis back mm-hmm. uh, at Wimbledon. So that was very exciting, and uh, we also you know, had witness to several rising star stories um, at this year's championships. Which one for you was, um, stood out the most? Well, I will tell you, uh, managing our social platforms, like all of our accounts, mainly it's the IG to be honest, but surprisingly, uh, the run that Raducanu had so just a quick recap for y'all, British, 18-year-old, born in Toronto. So again, we I feel like we can claim her as, you know, partially Canadian. Oh, yeah. She's ours. She's ours, right? She's ours when she's winning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When she's losing, when she's losing and maybe like pulling out of all the tournaments, but like posting IG stories like she's going to play the tournaments. <laughs> that might be, a, might be a different story. <laughs> uh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Um, okay, Radu Kanu, I believe, is one of the breakout stories of Wimbledon. Like, all of the headlines, if you do a Google search of Wimbledon, she pretty much comes up as one of the top hits. Surprisingly, on our IG, she, her post, which we titled A Star is Born, got the most, got the farthest reach. So the most set of eyeballs saw that particular post so you could tell people were like googling her hashtag um looking for her on ig um okay we we we're here to tell the truth right Mm -hmm. always nothing but am am i necessarily impressed with her game i don't know that i saw anything about her game that would naturally set her apart from anyone else you know is she a coco goff like did did she have that same Coco Golf moment that she, that Coco had two years ago when she was 15 years old? I don't really think so. I don't want to say that it was luck on her side. I mean, she beat a couple of really good players. She ended up beating Vondrusova, Diachenko. Um, she lost to Tomjanovic in a fourth round match because she, I, I, she had like respiratory issues mm-hmm. that... I'm not sure, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the headlines connected the respiratory issues to anxiety because of, like, performance. Like like, uh, having anxiety in the moment. She wasn't able to sort of catch her breath. Okay, so you read that too. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so, I mean, listen, having said all that, you cannot take away the fact that this 18-year-old made the fourth round of Wimbledon. That is incredible and amazing. I mean, listen, I'm also going to say it because it is on everyone's mind and on everyone's lips, and I don't think that it would be right if I didn't mention it, but many people also find her attractive. You know, again, we don't want to make the focus on her looks, but... I mean, let's be honest, that still exists in sport, especially when it comes to women. And I mean, we kind of can't call men all the time, whether that's right or wrong. We just do it anyway. But I mean, she definitely got a lot of attention. So I would say she's definitely a breakout story from from the slam. Mm-hmm. I mean, looks are subjective, but she has the appearance of somebody who would be a star, somebody who would mm. get a lot of endorsements and sponsorships. I th- I'm sure she got several calls after her... Uh, fourth round appearance um, despite the hyperventilating and the nervousness <laughs> that may have resulted but she also beat Cristea and you know I hope there are more results for her and that this isn't just sort of a one-off moment the Cristea match that I watched and some of the points in the ball striking in the Tomjanovich match made me think she's definitely somebody who has potential um, mm-hmm if not sort of Coco Goff level, but, you know, definitely top 30 potential, I would say. So and it's nice to see somebody um, fill the space that maybe we thought um, the woman who had to withdraw due to the COVID contact. What was her name? (laughs) (laughs) I'm forgetting her name at the moment. (laughs) I don't remember. Uh, From Great Britain. You, oh, Joe, your, Joe, Joe Conta, Joe Conta. Yeah. Gotcha. So she filled the Joe Conta spot, I guess, for a brief moment. Yeah, you're right. And think of it that way. I mean, the British definitely had someone to root for. One thing I just wanted to add, you know, we're talking about Raducanu being a breakout star. I am still, I guess, because I have the memory of like a mouse or an elephant. What is the analogy? I have no idea. <laughs> whichever whichever one of those animals have terrible memories Coco Goff is still 18 years old oh mm-hmm. 17 years old mm-hmm. Seven, like 17 like and she's we're not even talking I mean I guess we are partially talking about her age but she's just such a consistent presence deep in the draws at all of these tournaments that her to me her age is like not even part of the discussion anymore she's just an amazing tennis player yeah so- the expectations are different for her because she's proven herself and she's improved that consistency over the last nine months where she's winning tournaments and making it deep in draws so yeah she Mm -hmm. she is um younger than Raducanu I believe but she's at a higher level and people have higher expectations for her and she's sort of mentally in a different place um, because she has had more experience over the last two two and a half years (laughs) I just got a DM into our Ready Play Tennis podcast. Did you see that? No. Come in. <laughs> we'll talk about it later because I think we're going to talk about it later. So. Okay. Uh, so we talked about Raducanu and we talked about Goff. One of mm. the people I wanted to talk about on the men's side, and this is obviously for our American listeners who have had a drought and sort of, <laughs> you know, this lack of presence of American men uh, who have opportunities to sort of go deep 
and and win titles and win Grand Slams. I mean, they haven't had a Grand Slam winner since Andy Roddick won the U.S. Open in 2003. And I don't believe... 2003. Yeah. And I don't believe uh, any American man has made a Grand Slam final since he did that back in 2009 at Wimbledon, that epic, that Federer, which was like 1614 or whatever. But uh, Sebi Korda is somebody, I think, who has solidified himself as the next player American to sort of at least make the top 20 and the top 10 and to contend for Grand Slams. He's very consistent, solid, smooth player, very good on all surfaces. He, you know, made his first round of 16 at the French Open last year. Mm-hmm. Repeated that here at Wimbledon. Had so many chances to go to the quarterfinals, um, but lost that fifth set against Hatchinoff. Mm-hmm. And has gone deep in other events leading up to Wimbledon. He's now in the top 50. He's bypassed a bunch of players like TFO, people who have expectations for him, but he's exceeding them and only at 20 years old. So uh, definitely, I think, solidified himself as, as a player to watch. And I do think he'll be in the top 20, if not higher, by the end of the year. Yeah, um, I hearken back to his dad's scissor kicks when he won the Australian Open. Uh, You know, he obviously, (laughs) he came on our lips, like you said, last year at the French Open. Um, I kind of felt the same way about Korda as I do right now about Raducanu. It's like, okay, is this just kind of a young kid catching fire, going for broke, just doing whatever it took out there to get those matches done? Um, and, you know, I thought it was funny at the end of that match against his idol, Rafael Nadal, where he's like, can you sign my T-shirt? And, you know, every everyone in just, you know, cyberspace. Can you believe I just said the word cyberspace? Is this like 1998? <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone out there was just ragging on him hard for me. Like, bro, you're a tennis player. Like, you're a pro tennis player. You're going to ask for a signed autograph from, like, a guy that you're competing against. But, you know... I think it was really endearing and he and he does I guess what I've seen from Sebi off the court is that he's just a very kind of relaxed nice guy I feel like a lot of the American players have that um have that attitude like when I think of Apelka I think of I think of that kind of like chill I'm into art man like everything's cool man like he, (laughs) he gives me that vibe the only crazy one is Tennis Sangren um or maybe there are other crazies, but we just don't see them on so social media. cool. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, he's definitely a, an Instagram account you want to follow <laughs> if you want to be entertained. But, um, I mean, very simply, I feel like his progression from the fourth round showing at the French to his fourth round showing at Wimbledon for his freaking Wimbledon debut I can't think of another American player that has that an, another American men's player that has that much of a had that has had that much of a meteoric meteoric improvement. I can't remember. So I agree with you. I mean, I think Sebi Corda is to the United States as Chapo and Felix is to Canada. Mm-hmm. I would liken them to be kind of in the same 
in the same category. Well, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. They're moving up in the same sort of trajectory, trajectory. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I pronounced that right. But he, he's he's on the cusp of some of these other guys who have had sort of middling results. Is that a word? Middling? Yeah. 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 Like, you know, Taylor Fritz, Tiafo, Opelka mm-hmm. made the semifinals in Rome. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of a surprise. I mean, John Isner, it's aging. He's like 35. Perennial semifinalist. Yeah. Um, but there are there are no real other guys who are going to make a breakthrough unless you know Tiafo. I think he has a new coach. He's starting to refocus. Um, mm-hmm. But you know he played a couple of good matches against Sitsi um, and Vashik, but then mm-hmm. you know didn't really show up in his third round match against Hachinov. So, what, question for you and. You know, maybe this is going to really exercise your tennis knowledge or your tennis analysis. I have a bit of an idea, but I wanted to see what you thought first. Um, okay, put the, th- the big three off to the side for a moment. You've got in the top 10 people like Medvedev, um, Zverev, Tsitsipas, European players. What is it about that group that's not part of the top three that... What is it that they do better that the Americans just aren't able to play at that level and play at that level consistently? What do you think it is? Hmm. Ooh, this is a good question. I mean, I think one of the things is I don't know in the U.S. how many of the players who are training and up and coming uh, practice or play on the other surfaces other than hard courts. Mm-hmm. And a good chunk of the season... Um, is on clay. I mean, there's there's three months on clay, I believe, to, at least two and a half. Uh, and then there, there's the grass court season. And, you know, we're done Wimbledon, but here we are. And there's another tournament on clay happening this week. <laughs> so there's a good chunk of tournaments on clay. And if they don't know how to play on that surface, they're not going to um, be able to break through. I mean, Pete was good on two of the three surfaces he you know ruled Wimbledon Pete mm-hmm. Sampras uh, Agassi was able to win on all of the surfaces mm-hmm. uh, but some of these other players I don't know that they they can compete so it's harder to um, bring up your ranking um, if you're not able to compete on clay and grass and and Corda has proven he can compete on all of them yeah no agreed I take a look at um, the swath of American players, like you mentioned, Tiafo, Opelka. Um, I just think that in one, like when you take a look at a complete tennis player, let's say you look at Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas, actually, my ex-boyfriend, is a really good example <laughs> because he does everything well, truly. He has an all-court game. He can kind of uh, point construct from the back. He really doesn't have a weakness in terms of a forehand and a backhand. He has a great serve. He can come to the net and finish a point. And like your, to your point, he can transition that game onto all surfaces. You take a guy like Opelka, right? I mean, it is kind of shocking that he does well on clay or he has had results on clay. Mm-hmm. But when you really boil down his game, he really is a serve. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, a serve really doesn't make you a slam champion, let alone a top 10 player. Um, Tiafo, really happy for him that he had a wonderful Wimbledon. 
but he has had inconsistent results because I just don't think that he has that mental part kind of nailed down. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think something has to be said for the intangibles. I know we rag a lot on, you know, tennis folk out there and say, well, there are intangibles that you have to consider when you want to enter into this discussion of the GOAT. But in this particular conversation, you can tell like Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, they just have an aura about them that they want it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't get that. I, at least, that's the perception that I get when I see Tiafo, um, what's his face? Opelka, help me out here. Other, the other American pit, Sangren, um, Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul. <laughs> we really mentioned Tommy Paul. I don't know. Isner. <laughs> Isner, Query. Query, yeah. I mean, Query was f- fucking hiding somewhere in the world for months because of that <laughs> scandal that he was part of last year. I just don't get it from the American men, and that's just my perception. Except Corda. Except Corda. Yeah. There yeah. you go. I think, I think you're right. I listened to Patrick McEnroe's show, and he, I think, ta- has talked about the the his his perception is that there is a bit of a lack of, of work ethic and a lack of hunger. Um, mm. And he hopes it can, it can come for players like Taylor Fritz is the other one that we didn't mention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fritz and Tiafo um, and maybe Opelka. But some of the other players, I think... You know, Isner, Query, they're they're of the aging ilk, so they I think the time has really passed them by. But it's up to mm. sort of the Fritzes, the Tiafos, and and Cordas to really pick it up. And I think Corda, um, you know, over the last ten minutes, what we've been trying to say <laughs> is Corda is the guy for you, American listeners. Yeah, yeah. Let's hold the torch for Corda. Excited about that. Yeah. Uh, you have you have so many women to choose from that you're fine on the women's side. We keep wondering if Andrescu is going to play ever. I, I mean, she posted... <laughs> uh, do, oh my God, do I want to get into this right now? <laughs> Just briefly. Just briefly? Yeah. Okay, so she posted um, on her IG that she... Well, she announced that she's not going to be participating in the um, upcoming Olympics. I don't know how you felt when you read her post... But it seems like all the players, the high-profile players that have decided to withdraw from the Olympics, Federer now is part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like someone sent them a template where they all use the same verbiage. It's like, after much contemplation and reflection with my team, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have decided that you know we are not going to participate in the upcoming Olympics, but it would be a it will be a pleasure to represent X country at the 2020. What is it? Four games in Paris. Yeah, I would be cheering. I will be cheering on, you know, members of Team Canada or members of Team Great Britain. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's sort of boilerplate. I really love representing my country. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't be there. Uh, Johanna Conta said the same thing, but she actually did um, contract COVID after she had to was forced to withdraw for being in contact with someone. She actually posted that she. Um, did had COVID and she was she hasn't been able to train so that's her mm. reasoning for not playing the not uh, playing in the Olympics. Girl, I think that we could just email Tennis Canada and be like, "You guys need players." <laughs> <laughs> we'll go. <laughs> we'll go. <laughs> I think on the men's side, Felix is playing. Felix, yeah, well, that's great. I don't know Medvedev. if Vasek is playing as well, but. Mm. 
Don't know. And uh, it remains to be seen if Djokovic is playing. He's, he was 50 50. Uh, okay, we're going to save that little tidbit for the end. Yeah. Because I have something to say about that. Do you want to mention any of these other players before we move on to the next topic, which is mm. number one? Samsonova, meh. <laughs> Rabakina. Rabakina, I think, has the most uh, potential to really be a consistent top 10. Right. Um, I've liked her from last year. I like, a, I like a girl that just smashes the ball and her composure and just kind of mental state on the court, especially in these big matches, is improving. So I really liked what I saw from her at Wimbledon this year. Yeah, it was it was a surprise. Um, she lost to Pliskova, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, her win against Serena obviously is is um, was impressive in terms of just holding her nerve and being solid. And you know, you're playing arguably one of the greatest ever, and mm-hmm. you beat her in straight sets and and were dictating the entire match. So definitely one to watch for sure. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Enough of the rising stars. Let yeah. them continue to rise. Well, we from rising star to one who solidified herself as number one after mm-hmm. a year of us forgetting mm-hmm. that she was <laughs> and asking what she was doing. She was clearly loving life in Australia, golfing, being with her boyfriend. Mm being with family and that was enough for her it was enough to come back after 11 months off and just keep winning i wish i could take well i mean i i was gonna say i wish i could take time off and just be better at my job but i actually do that (laughs) (laughs) you're doing it right now i'm doing it right now exactly um okay where do we start yes we shaded her all of last year ash barty you can I wish we could uh, just do a quick playback of all the times. Like, who is the number one player again? Oh, yeah, it's Ashbury. It's Ashbury. Remember her? Um, I don't think that anyone can argue anymore that she is the definite number one. Um, she has acted and her results have shown she's the definite number one. Uh, just some statistics that I pulled to prove that she is the number one player and acting like the number one player. Like any so good she- pos- podcaster. There you go. A little bit of research here. So since the French in 2019, she's won seven titles, including the WTA Championships, which is like essentially the fifth Grand Slam, um, and of course Wimbledon. Uh, she's. This is a very kind of differentiating factor for me. So she's won four tournaments this year on three different surf- surfaces, right? She won that weird tournament, like, yeah, she won that tournament where she was served that koala bear on a plate mm-hmm. as a trophy. The pre-Australian Open tournament. Right, the wombat or yes. something like that. Yeah. Um, who remember? Gramp- Grampians? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. So she won that tournament. Of, um, she won at in Stuttgart on clay. And then now she's won on grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why that's important is because we will talk about in a moment. We've been talking about Naomi Osaka. She's been on everyone's lips. Um, but Barty is a more dimensional player. We'll get into that in a second. Um, again, you said she took an 11 month layoff. Like who takes an 11 month layoff, comes back and plays even better. 
Like, you know, you win a slam, you win the finals of the WTA championships, then you take 11 months and then you come back and you win more. Mm -hmm. Like, that's incredible to me. And um, I mean, she's still really young, 25 years old. I mean, you see these women starting continue to win slams into their 30s. So there's still a lot of slam winning years left for Ash. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think? I mean, I kind of introduced the whole uh, Barty versus Naomi Osaka being the future of women's tennis. Um, What do you think about Ash and how she might face up against someone like Naomi in the future? Well, I have to layer on to Ash that she is great for the sport of tennis. Mm. She is like loved by everybody. I think even she she got more sort of congratulations than probably Djokovic did after winning her title yeah. uh, from her fellow players um, in terms of like messages and posts and that sort of thing. She also won Miami, which you forgot to mention. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's which right. is uh, her second time winning that tournament. She also stopped playing tennis completely, mm-hmm. like for two years, and went back to Australia and started playing cricket. So <laughs> that's interesting and cool. And at some point, she decided to come back. And, you know, within 18 months, she's at the top of the game and winning the French Open and and winning more tournaments and now winning her, her dream event, which is Wimbledon. So she is definitely uh, great for the sport. In many ways, she could become like Roger Federer in a way, which is maybe higher praise at, at this point. But I think she she plays a bit like her with, with a lot of elegance and she's just well-liked and just a genuinely nice person. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of you setting up this dichotomy of her and Naomi, obviously she's a more um, multi-dimensional player in terms of um, the gifts that she has with you know the slice. Um, they both have great serves. Um, hers is maybe um, more impressive because she's five foot five or something like that. She's really short, um, mm-hmm. but she can play on all surfaces, which Naomi has yet to prove that she can do. I think we both would agree that she can figure it out. She just hasn't mm-hmm. yet. So it'll definitely be a rivalry that I would love to see more of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what the women's game is missing right now. Like, and you know, it's not even just about, because I know some people out there might say, oh, you know, you just want to pit women against women. I mean, we do that in the men's game as well, but we love rivalries because we love um, how players push each other to the next limit. That's why we love Serena versus Maria. That's why we loved Steffi versus Monica, Chrissy versus Martina. Mm -hmm. You know, these women really pushed each other to the next level. And I think that Barty winning Wimbledon You know, you really do hope that Naomi comes back and she's just as strong as ever, because can you imagine what that match might, what that U.S. Open might look like with two really informed players like Barty and um, Naomi? And yes, we rag on her. I'm going to throw in a third girl. You, you, I'm sure you know which girl I'm going to throw into this equation. Bianca? BB. BB, like those three to me should be one, two, and three. You know, like 
Steffi, Monica, Gabriella Sabatini. Like that era of women's tennis where it was always kind of like one week one was number one, then the next week another girl was number one. And I feel like those are the three players, you know, and you throw in a, a, a cute little halop and then you throw in a Kvitova. Um, Sabalenka. Mm, okay, no. sure. No. Sviantek. Um, Sviantek, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Um, that's what that's what gets me excited about women's tennis is that, you know, there are these players that really can just um, be a solid, like, num- like, top five, top six in the world, and you just want to get there. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy for Barty. I am. I'm glad that she won Wimbledon. Well, there's a reason why when you have, like... <laughs> Djokovic versus Rafa and it's match number 55 that you're going to have eyeballs on it. It's because they have (laughs) such, you know, a history of, of going back and forth and they've been part of an era that has seen them, you know, compete against each other, but um, become better because, because of one another. And that's what makes people want to watch tennis and love the sport. So that's, I think what we're saying is that we want that, um, in the women's game too and it's sort of uh, missing and you know people talk about that this is an era of, of women's tennis where anybody can snatch snatch the slam and I think we want uh, more consistency because we want more eyeballs on the women's game mm-hmm. yeah yeah who was it that posted oh Miles from Missing the Point remember we did that co-episode with him um, the, talking to all you listeners out there he posted a picture of um it looked like early 2000s 2003 2004 you had lindsey davenport martina hingis serena williams venus williams monica Seles, anna kornikova kim kleisters justine hennen like all of these players that were just always i won't say always but mostly on top of their game mm-hmm. you know and no injuries you want that for the women's game. You know, Naomi's obviously taking a mental break. We sincerely hope that she really, you know, groups it together and is ready to play the rest of the year because, you know, when when all the women are playing well, that's when it's really exciting. Throw in Brady. I forgot to throw in mm-hmm. Jennifer Brady. I know you love her. I do love her. Yeah. Come on our show, Jen Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, all of you come on our show. We'll, Except for Plushkova. We'll have a Barty party and a Brady party and a... <laughs> Well, maybe Pliskova. No, of course. I'm. I'm just joking, Pliskova. You warm, You have warmed our 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 hearts, Kari or Carrie or whatever Barty <laughs> called you in her acceptance speech. Uh, there's not much to say other than we want more rivalries, and we we, we would like maybe a bit more greed from some of these top yeah. top players that we know have the personality in the game to, you know bring sort of four or five players into competing in multiple slam finals and semifinals and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. The other uh, number one who I think you, I loved what you put on Instagram. I forget what you put about it, about him from, from snatched to solidified. Ah, Joko. Yeah, that was good. So we're, we're staking our claim that he, has solidified himself based on his stats and based on the prospect of his future stats. He, it's hard to ignore. Wait, I just remembered something that I think is pivotal to this conversation. So one of our dedicated listeners, Nishikari, who is a diehard Rafa fan, 
made the distinction between goat and boat. <laughs> Best. I believe. And great, greatest. So, you know what? Let me put it out there to all of our listeners. So, just for some context, greatest <laughs> of all time, goat, um, includes intangibles like, you know, pers- personality, off court behavior how charitable you are whether you have an aura of being a gentleman i mean those are the kinds of things that um we've heard i mean not just from nishikari but from the greater you know tennis public at large and this is what these people are generally clinging on to when they argue that either federer or nadal is the goat greatest Mm -hmm. of all time nishikari made sure to let us know that Yes, he agrees that Djokovic is the boat, which is <laughs> the best player of all time. And so this is just focusing on the tennis. <laughs> so not the intangibles. Right. Because, you know, I mean, listen, just to throw it in there, a couple of people that you and I know from just the TLGTA league, you know, just raise the issue of Djokovic being a ding-dong head when it comes to, like, you know, smashing a ball at an umpire's neck and so that disqualifies him automatically from being the best tennis player of all time um that's stupid i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw it to you so go ahead tell me what you think about that well i mean i get it it's semantics um it's it's allows allows you to have this cover and and try to maintain this feeling that someone is better than somebody else i think there's that argument's going to go on forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the things that Djokovic has done in the past, those things that you mentioned, the choke shot heard around the world, <laughs> um, the throat, sorry, the throat shot heard around the world, um, the tour and some of, you know, the things that he does with the umpires, um, those sorts of things, have give people the wrong impression coupled with what we said in one of our last Wimbledon episodes which is people gravitated to those other players first mm-hmm. Federer and Nadal so mm-hmm. um, I mean choose your word choose whatever you want it's it's going to be subjective and it's going to be up to you the guy who has the most of the records will be Djokovic Okay, so again, you're you're giving us like a little a, t- a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So, <laughs> you think that I don't I do, I mean, I I think Djokovic is is the greatest player of all time. He won't have made the most money because Federer will have more endorsements than him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and perhaps that's because of those intangible pieces and the way he plays how how he floats on the court um <laughs> but uh i i do believe uh, in terms of the stats that djokovic is the is the greatest and will be the greatest okay you know what listen to me sweeties all of you out there uh, whether you follow or are a diehard fan of joko rafa or or federer Nothing will ever take away what each of those three individually have given to the sport. I mean, Roger's special. And I mean, even we posted it on our Ready Play Tennis podcast Instagram. Like we went all the way back to his 1999 
defeat of Pete Sampras at Wimbledon, this, you know, iconic changing of the guard moment for Roger Federer when you first fell in love with with him. Um, nothing will take that away. I mean, he has cemented himself as, you know, a legend. And I think, honestly, I think in terms of contribution to the sport of tennis, in terms of fans, in terms of um, popularity, in terms of... Um, What's the other word I'm looking for? In just terms of eyeballs mm-hmm. and just selling raising them the tickets, pro- selling them tickets, raising the profile of the sport. I do believe that Roger and Rafa are unparalleled in that category. But it's also okay, y'all, that are coming for us and that are coming for everybody out there that's saying um, Joko is the goat. It's okay to love Federer, but also admit that. Djokovic is the best player of all time until someone else comes along and beats Djokovic on all of those metrics that he is in the lead in then that will be the new goat but you know I think as we know Jason people that are diehard tennis fans are so dedicated loyal and committed I mean I'm not sure whether you've perused our IG the kind of vitriol tennis fans like <laughs> send to players like I hope you die like have you seen that like no. Von Drusev Von posted it on her IG recently like all of this crazy batshit these batshit messages that are violent it's like guys like chill out like yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean so love who you love mad respect for and all of that but I you can't argue with facts mm-hmm and Djokovic is the best of all time. The greatest of all the time. The greatest. <laughs> you, almost got, you almost got hung up there um, with your own semantics. <laughs> yeah. As presented by one of our IG followers and listeners. Uh-huh. Um, they have contributed to their own rise by yes. making the other better and having great matches with one another. It's the reason why they're all... At 20 Grand Slams apiece. 2020 vision, y'all. The Holy Trinity. <laughs> Trinity. Trint- <laughs> Trintainty. Um, the last thing that we wanted to talk about was um, one of the big three. And then mm. the other person who was briefly wrapped up in what was called the big four. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, they... Um, they have contributed to uh, four of the last 10 Wimbledon men's singles titles, but Djokovic has the other six. And they wow. are Roger and Andy. Mm-hmm. So every all eyes were obviously on um, Andy's return, um, hoping that he would do well. He definitely gave the uh, crowd in Great Britain something to cheer about. Um, a lot more tennis than hope he had hoped for probably as a 34 year old mm-hmm. but uh two great matches and then he ran into um the current generation and canadian number 10 chapeau and who played like an amazing match uh what do you think is is next for him obviously he talked about needing to see um how his body ho- holds up i think we know 
you know, he wanted to play Wimbledon, but probably needs a bit more time, a few more tournaments, a few more matches. But, you know, the guy has had hip surgery and um, you got to wonder um, if if the matches aren't come aren't coming to the best result, which is winning. How much more is somebody like him and somebody like the other guy, Federer, uh, going to want to continue to play? Yeah, um, when you are a slam champion, when you have been part of the top big three, big four conversation, coming back, putting all in all that work, and I think the question that he has to ask himself is, is he able to contend? I mean, part of it obviously is enjoying the sport and just going out there and loving the training, loving the traveling, knowing that you can kind of still go out there and win. I, that would be one of the driving reasons why I would stay in a sport. Um, I don't know what's left in the tank for Andy. I mean, him beating Basilashvili in the first round was a good sign. I don't really know very much about this German guy that he beat in the second round, Otta. Mm-hmm. Um, but he beat him in five sets. Again, this was just him coming back after hip surgery. I think with the tournaments that he plays for the rest of the year will be a good indication of where his heart is, where his mind is, where his fitness is. And um, yeah, the reason why I love Andy is because Andy, in a very similar way to Djokovic, found a way to worm hit, like found a way to disrupt the, um, the, the sheer dominance of the big three. Like he found a way to play them. And he kind of has, I mean, he has a, a similar game to Joko in that he's at his best. He is simply indestructible he will be like okay bitch you want to be out here for eight hours Mm -hmm. i can hit all the balls get all the balls forehands backhands like he could do what djokovic can do if he's a hundred percent healthy so i mean when you take that away from a person if you if you take um you know because having said that like andy murray doesn't have a particular shot like a delpo does like double could just like missile forehands all day long and contend with the big three mm-hmm. but murray's strength was his um his just he's like a brick wall and when you take that away what else do you have left mm-hmm. so i'm i want to see more of andy i'm not sure we're gonna get the andy of like 2012 2013 yeah did you say indestructible i did why that was that's not that song you must not know about me that's that's not this that's not the song (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) okay great (laughs) i don't know why i had that i i got that in my head i was like what's oh beyonce beyonce Beyonce? irreplaceable Um, someone check us on that (laughs) he's well obviously he's not irreplaceable he's Mm. he's he's, andy murray he's andy murray yeah um Obviously, it would. I think your point is well taken. He will need to figure out whether he enjoys uh, the process and whether he enjoys 
um, the results that come from that process. And if, if the process uh, and, and the time on court doesn't result to as much winning as he's used to and he hopes for, um, then he will sort of be winding his time down on the court, which is sort of the same way I think many of us are starting to see and experience with Federer, especially after, mm. you know, his disappointing result in Halle, where he lost um, to FAA and looked a bit uh, uninspired on the court and talked, I think, a little bit about his mental challenges and, and you know, building up to it um, in the match. And we saw glimpses of how good he can be um, in Wimbledon, but, uh, you know, he he got bageled in his final set at the quarterfinals against Hercatch, so... Yeah, there was another stat. Like, Federer had not lost uh, in straight sets since, like, the early 2000s, I think, at Wimbledon. Something like that. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I share this with all of you on one of the Wimbledons. I got a bit emotional when I saw Federer leave the court. You know, I, I think his vulnerability is what makes him so likable to many. Um, you can tell he just really cares for the sport. He really respects all of the like the center court that he plays on. And so in that respect, not only is he a legend, but he's also, you know, someone that um, respects the sport that he plays so much. Um, it will be hard to not see Federer again uh, at Wimbledon. And, you know, you just hope that a person of his um, stature decides to go out on his own terms Um you know, I've said this before, I it pains me every time we have a conversation about Venus Williams because people forget that Venus is a fucking five-time champion of Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And she used to glide on that gl- on that grass, you know, with the wingspan of an albatross and just smack forehands and backhands, finish points at the net. And to see her just with such limited mobility even though she kind of gave Anjabour a run for her money in that first set, you you just want, you just kind of have to ask, like, what, how much more can we take of Venus losing in the first and second rounds of slams? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't want that personally for one of my tennis faves. You know, to see Roger Federer exit in the first or second round next year will be really hard. But, you know, obviously it's his decision, and we just we just want him to be... <laughs> We just want you to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's happy with his billion dollars. <laughs> I think he'll be fine, you know, and yeah, I think he'll be fine, you know, labeled one of the best of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you think he cares about that? Uh, I, I mean, he was nice enough to send a little Twitter message to Novak congratulating him and, you know, being part of the 2020 club and how amazing Mm. that is and so that was nice and then Nadal I think followed a day later or something when he was taking a break from his yacht he's like oh I should probably (laughs) pipe into this as well and and add my congratulations because you know he's joining my club also he's probably telling the person in charge of his social media he's like write this down and post it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm gonna be playing golf or um being on my yacht although he is now back um 
at his academy and he's now hitting on the hard court so you can see he's he's prepping perhaps for a return to the u.s open and maybe here to the national bank open um Ooh. which is in toronto i think no, i forget if a, is the are the women playing in toronto or the men Oh, we should know this. I thought that the National Bank Open was going to be in Montreal, men's and women's. No, they do one in 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 uh, in Montreal and one in Toronto. I know that girl. But oh, I think okay. That, <laughs> I've been to the tournaments. Before. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what country we're in right now? Uh, no, they're still keeping. They're still maintaining um, one in Montreal, one in Toronto. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, I, yeah, I don't know who's here, but I mean that'll be nice. There, there are no fans though, right? I believe there w- the new rules allow for up to 10,000 people or 50% capacity, whichever is lower or whatever. So um, I think the, the capacity at the Aviva Center is 12,000, mm-hmm. so they'll be allowed to have 6,000 fans. They should. Ooh, we have to get our tickets. Yes, we have to get tech ads. Get your tickets now. Actually, they're not on sale yet. I checked today. Okay. Um, we got to get it on that. But I signed up to get notified for when they go on sale. Okay. Well, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Wimbledon is over. Oh, can we do like a That was embarrassing. Um, the Olympics are coming up, so that's exciting. Monica Puig will be there. No, maybe she <laughs> uh, Very few players will be there. Um, so we'll see what the draw looks like. But there's five other tournaments happening this week, so the tennis never ends. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Olympics are something that I really look forward to. But with all of the withdrawal of these top players, plus no fans, plus just... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can get into it. Maybe I'll feel differently when things start revving up. But for now, I we I think we deserve a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. And then we have the, the hardcore season, the Cincy and the Rogers and the U.S. Open, which is also, I think, having 100% fans. Ooh, that's going to be special. Yeah. All right. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. We're here for your tennis-tainment, or your tentertainment, or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review. And like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.